produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world. obviously for this because I needed to be near the ocean involving sea turtles. My characters needed to have this sort of setting where they'd grown up and returned to. Anders Isle is completely made up, although loosely based on Isle of Palms. It's a contemporary, it takes place current in current present day, but um, it's loosely based on the way Isle of Palms looked back before um, there was a lot of development on the island when there was a yeah, right. before, before the maritime forest was destroyed. Right, yeah. when there was still a maritime forest on the north end. I grew up going down to Isle of Palms and as a child, you know, we would go there for vacation and I have seen it change a lot in that time. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. I am your host, Ron Block, and I am so excited for today's episode. Not only do we have a wonderful book and author to talk with, but my co-host today is somebody you might know been quite a while since she's joined us, but please give a warm welcome back to one of the original co-founders of Friends in Fiction, Mary Alice Monroe. Hello, okay. Mary Alice. Oh, it's fun to be back. Yay. Always good to see you, Ron, and this is a good day for us. Good. Yes. Okay. Before we introduce our guests, though, I, we're dying to know all that's new in your world. Catch us up on what's going on with you. Well, I'm slow moving. <laughs> a lot. I think... Everyone knows that I've been working with middle grade books, mm -hmm. and that's my canary. And if you all know me, I've got birds, dogs, everything. So that's my canary, not your computer. <laughs> and I covered it up, so I apologize. I'm working on the next middle grade book, Shipwrecked, which is coming out in 24. But I've been working very hard and steadily on a, I like to call it an epic novel. And it's actually two books, one following the other, and it's a, it's it's historical and contemporary. It just goes through a hundred years, so I have a lot of writing to do, and it's been a lot of fun. I'm kind of going rogue a little bit, which is at my age, I like to think I can. So it, that book will be out in a couple of years. So of course, you can, you can do that. That sounds Don't wonderful. You think it's time. <laughs> Good for you. And I think that's something that you've really wanted to do for a while, too. I think we've talked I about know. that. You know, Ron, it's, it was 20 years that I wrote about the environment, sort of like what Kristen's book, you know, where you bring in the environment. And I did it for 20 years, and I tied it up with a bow, and I'm still writing with a backdrop of the environment. But um, like I said, going rogue a little bit. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be writing next, so we'll hang on to your seatbelt. Yeah, just, we'll hey, see. wherever the wind <laughs> takes you. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. I, well, we can't wait for all of that and more, you, I'm sure, to come. So it's, it's always such a great time to get an update from you. Yeah. 
But let's welcome our guest now. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Kristen Ness, author of the stunning debut novel, At Loggerheads. And pay attention, you might find some similarities between my co-host and our guest. Take it away, Mary Alice. Thank you, Ron. Oh, hey, Kristen, how are you? We see each other around town. We both are here on Isle of Palms, and so we see each other a lot here. But um, Kristen grew up mostly in South Carolina, spending countless days with nature, sound familiar, and falling in love with the ocean and all of the creatures on Isle of Palms, where for the past, and I didn't know it was 10 years, 10 years, she has walked the beach at sunrise each summer in search of sea turtle nests as a volunteer for the island turtle team. While practicing immigration law for 20 years, she's been moonlighting in pursuit of her lifelong passion for writing and her obsession with marine biology. Kristen has a BA in English from Duke University and a JD from the University of South Carolina School of Law. And she serves as an appointed member of the South Atlantic Fishery Management Council Coral Advisory Panel. That's a mouthful. She lives in Charleston, South Carolina with her husband, two children, two guinea pigs, and a cat. Welcome, Kristen. So nice to do this with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. For your debut novel. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Yes. I've been working on it for a long time. At loggerheads. So how long have you been working on the book? Well, I've, it took me about 10 years to write it. So I got the idea for it a little bit before um, I was pregnant with my daughter and she is now 15. So the idea was percolating for a while. And then uh, at that time I was living in Charlotte and longing to be down here, you know, living near the beach and working with the turtle team. So those ideas were in my mind. And once I started writing, I just sort of wrote through the whole story and off and on, I would work on it around some of the other things I was doing. So I was a practicing lawyer at the time and And raising kids and a lot going on. My hat's off to you because not only working and writing, but working and writing and raising kids is You know, it was, you know, as a mom, you know, that takes a lot of your time and energy and finding creative space and that can be tricky. So it was an off and on process. During those years, did you do the 5.30, 4.30 in the morning or did you work at 11.30, 12.30 at night? Which end did you hit? Oh, um, well, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this on a podcast. Sometimes I would work on it during my work hours instead <laughs> of doing my law work. Whenever the creative uh, spirit struck me. So sometimes that would be in the middle of the day. Sometimes I would do a free writing where I would just try to sit down for a little, a little while each night and, and work on it. And that would sometimes turn into a longer amount of time. I'd start with, you know, 15 minutes, but sometimes a whole chapter would come out. So it was really whenever I could grab the time, whenever I was having that creative spark. And as the story was developing and it was kind of playing through my mind, sometimes I would have very creative periods and then sometimes there would be a lull. So it just took me a lot of time off and on. <laughs> and the difference is when you're, the beauty of that, I always say, is when you're not under deadline, you can do that. Yes. So uh, are you under deadline now or do you, ha- we'll talk about what you're doing next, but has your writing style changed? I'm curious, are you full-time writer now? Or are you still a lawyer? I am 
a part-time of each. So I'd say I'm part-time wow. lawyer, part-time writer. I'm trying to be a full-time writer. So that'll speed the process <laughs> for your next book. Yeah. So I'd like to be a full-time writer. That's my end goal. That's what I love to do is write. So I'd love to make a living doing that. But for right now, I'm still doing a little bit of my law practice so I can uh, pay the bills. (laughs) Understood as well. Okay. Well, let's get into the book at Loggerheads. You and I met on the Isle of Palms, Sullivan's Island turtle team. And I've been on for 24 years. I was one of the first with Mary Pringle. And you were 10 years. So I just remember- When we met years ago, you were this energetic, very excited. And it's always fun to see that in a new recruit. And I think you and I have always sort of bonded from the very beginning. So when you, especially when you said you were writing a novel. So I've been waiting for this book for a very long time. Thank you. With the novel at Loggerheads, the setting is so important. Let's start there. It's on the coast of South Carolina, but you have a fictional setting, Anders Island. Yes. It is so I know it has to be close to Charleston because the South Carolina Aquarium is involved and that's in Charleston. So where do you, I was trying to place it where is it and what in your mind is Anders Island? The setting was very important obviously for this because I needed to be near the ocean involving sea turtles. My characters needed to have this sort of setting where they'd grown up and returned to Anders Isle is completely made up, although loosely based on Isle of Palms. It's a contemporary, it takes place current in current present day, but um, it's loosely based on the way Isle of Palms looked back before um, there was a lot of development on the island. When there was a, yeah, right. before, before the maritime forest was destroyed. Right, yeah, when there was yeah, still yeah. a maritime forest on the north end. I yeah. grew up going down to Isle of Palms and as a child, you know, we would go there for vacation, and I have seen it change a lot in that time um, since the early 80s until now. So my memory of it then plays into a lot of the setting. And um, I would say location-wise, it's it's probably someplace between Charleston and Beaufort, so south of oh, Charleston. south. Right, okay. more deeper okay. in the low country that way, but about an hour from Charleston. And it actually is a fictional aquarium as well. It's Anders Isle. There's a city called Anders City that's right across the connector from Anders Isle. So it's called Anders Aquarium. It's actually a okay. fictional aquarium also. All right. Well, that, then, it's, then that explains. So I know I can put it in my mind now. And one of the things I, I was curious about is why did you make it fictional? Oh, well, I... Because I loved writing, I would go to lots of author events as I was getting started trying to find my idea for a novel. And one of them was with John Hart, who's written some Southern Gothic types of books. A lawyer, um, he's I might add. also a recovering attorney. So um, he, you know, became <laughs> became a, a lawyer writer, very much like so many of us do from a, a law background, because we do so much writing and research for that. We kind of are made for the transition. But he, um, I remember him talking about the settings for some of his books. And he set one of his books in the actual city where he grew up, which I think is Salisbury, North Carolina, if I'm remembering this correctly. And 
because it took him a while to write the book and get it published, things had changed from when he had originally written it. And people would come up to him constantly and point out things he'd gotten wrong, <laughs> things that he didn't describe the right way, places you near know, the wrong street crossing here and there, or that store's not there anymore. And so he had said in one of his talks, I'm never going to use a real place again. I you know, recommend a fictional setting because then you really have full creative control over what happens in that setting. That's you can amazing. describe it however awesome. you want. You can, it's just kind of, it, it fully, it fulfills my full imagination for the place to oh, be able to create corrected. it from scratch. I've right? been corrected, but more like a date, like Wofford College didn't have boys in it until 1957, and you said 1955. I, like, I mean, true. Inevitably, there's going to be something, because when right. you're writing, even if you're using par partially true places and partially fiction. So in my book, there are a few scenes that happen in Charlotte, and I used to live in Charlotte. So some of those places are real some of the locations I reference and, you know, but the, the main action yeah. is Anders and the Taylor. main action is yeah. on the coast, Anders Isle and the little town across the connector from it. So, and I wanted to say, speaking of setting, since we're on the topic, the cover is really unique. And for those of you, this is a Thank podcast. You. I realize you can't see it, but you can at kristenness.com and that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N. There's I-N-E-N. She's an E-N and on Facebook. And um, what it is, it's a beautiful photograph of a young hatchling uh, racing to the ocean, just a single lone hatchling. And it's all drenched in blues with the moon. It's very moody. It's, it's really beautiful. beautiful. It's Thank a beautiful you. color. Where did the photograph come from? Did you take it? or did... I didn't. It's a stock photo, but I commissioned a design company that's out in, I think they're in British Columbia, called ebook design, ebook launch. And I found them online through just searching best cover design companies, and I gave them a bunch of ideas of what I was looking for. I said, moonlight, on the so beach. So you really controlled your I, cover. For the cover, I had a lot yeah, of input. So um, I, I, you know, and that is one, one benefit of being with a small press is that there is, the author gets to have a lot of input. And in this case, they were happy to have me sort of take the helm with the cover because I had this idea in my head. Now this, what they came up with, was the, I mean, I didn't, it was an idea in my head. I didn't even know was there. So it was such a, such a great, it. such a win when they sent that to me. And really they pulled it out of a combination of me sending them some of my own photographs of hatchlings from Isle of Palms, photographs of sunrises on Isle of Palms sure. and also some other, cover some other, <laughs> right. And other covers that I liked um, by yeah. other authors in my genre. And they pulled all that information I'd given them and then came out with this. And I'm I sure just, everyone I love wants it to see it now because it really, anyone <laughs> who loves sea turtles is going to love this photograph. I really hope yes, it does yes. pull people in. I hope it's both beautiful and a little scary. Ooh, <laughs> because there's some scary stuff going on. Let's because talk it's about a murder that mystery. a little bit. It's yes. a murder mystery. <laughs> yes. Let's go talk about the characters a little bit. I thought they were really well fleshed out. And yes, thank um, you. it's really clear when you're reading the book and the kind of personalities you brought in that you're really familiar, not just with conservation groups, but with the other side, the developers and the lawyers and all that. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a heroine. Her name is Brooke. And I kept seeing, uh, frankly, you as Brooke. <laughs> now, for those of you who can't see her, Brooke is tall, attractive, with long brown hair, slender, and that describes Kristen Ness. So well, thank I, you. I just, <laughs> there's a little bit of me, a little bit of me and Brooke, thinking, for sure. Mm, I see Kristen. So um, tell me a little bit about your, your design of Brooke, why you had oh. her be your heroine. Well, 
one thing that my uh, one thing that a lot of people who know me know about me is that I am secretly at heart a marine biologist. I've always oh, I had totally this sort that. of <laughs> this love for marine biology that has always kind of just been this parallel life of mine. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, so I, I, I often it's wonder nature how... nature nerd. Right, I'm a nature nerd. I'm, a, I'm specifically a sea creature nerd. Like yep, anything yep. that is on the ocean or in the ocean, I just, I'm so obsessed with it. And I've always been that way from the time I was little and we would go to the beach and I would collect them and study them and take them home to my aquarium and then have to bring them back because they were going to die. And just, uh, no, just I was just always taking care of the sea creatures. You right? just described Brooke. That's, right. That's so yes. how you yes. created her. So this was in a way, my way of being able to live out my dream of being a marine ah, biologist. So I, like I made her one because I wanted to write about that and I wanted to be able to research it. And I thought that seeing this whole murder mystery play out sort of through her eyes with her as the narrator Mm, would be a great way to bring the reader in and maybe teach them a little bit about sea turtles while they're absorbed in the mystery and the love story and, you know, some of the other things happening on the island. (laughs) Well, that, you know, obviously I love that. All right. um, Then there's Drew, who is, you know, I'm trying to be very careful not to tell other plots, but who is the hero, and he is, oh my gosh, he's a, he's a low country boy, and who doesn't yeah. love a good low country boy? And, but he, you, na- you nailed it, again, with the shorts and the chewing the ice cubes and the shaggy <laughs> hair. Okay, who is yes. your inspiration for this police? He was an investigator. Um, yes, he's the homicide detective, um, really an investigative. He's the lieutenant who's in charge of investigations at the police department, and um, he's a detective, but he rarely has had to do any homicide cases. He's assisted on some with the sheriff's office, but he's never been in charge of one. So a lot of this is his based on his the, the training he's had or the things he's read, but not necessarily firsthand experience. So he's kind of thrown into the helm of this investigation and wants to prove himself to the chief. Um, his personality was really a combination of... Um, pure imagination and also just a combination of personalities of friends of mine, you know, men I've known, mm. um, boys I knew when I was growing up, going to Isle of Palms who were surfers or, oh, um, definitely belongs in Isle know. of Palms. Yes. And, um, <laughs> you know, just, I had a lot of friends who were boys growing up. And so I'd say that it's a combination of personalities a lot. Some of my mm. husband's in there, you know, he's a, he's an athlete and has sort of Don't, the same TMI. look, <laughs> sort of the same look, it sort of the same look as It is is a love story in a a very quiet love story. It's a rediscovered love. Yes, it is. It's sort of a slow blooming, something that they both have had since childhood between them, but haven't really ever been in the same place to explore it or in the same place emotionally or physically to explore that. So and there's one character that I think is probably the most interesting because you switched it around and that's the, the victim. Diane, yes. mm-hmm. who is a close friend of Brooke, and you know, you think they're good friends, and then she's not a very nice person right. by the time at the end. Was that, um, did that speak to you as you wrote the novel, or was that planned? That, the sort of the way their relationship shifted came out as I wrote it. So I didn't initially intend sort of the, the way it unfolded at the end, some of the things Brooke finds out about their friendship. Um, when I started out 
drawing up their friendship, but I knew she was going to be the victim. I always knew she was going to be the victim, but um, I didn't have a very clear idea of, of how Brooke was, how her feelings about their friendship might evolve over time. And of course, at the beginning, she's devastating, dev- devastated about what happens and wants justice. And then um, she still does by the end. And, but I think she gains a much deeper understanding, interestingly enough, of, of her friend in death mm. that maybe she didn't have of her friend uh, when she was alive. And life itself, too. Finally, mm-hmm. there's Caldwell, who's the other past love interest. And I thought he was inter- the most interesting and maybe even the most well-fleshed out because, boy, did he do an about turn. I don't know if there's much to say about him, but as a non-villain cohort, I don't know how to describe him. He, you nailed his personal personality. You did. Um, do you know a Caldwell again? I don't know a specific Caldwell, but when I worked in law, I worked in a, a few large law firms and around a lot of male attorneys. And so, and going to law school, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are attorneys. So, so drawing that picture of, uh, of a male attorney was fairly straightforward for me. Well, that's a perfect segue to this next question. Your education plays into the novel's plot very, very nicely. You graduated with an English degree, as you said, then you got your JD here in Charleston. But your knowledge of law and legal procedure really plays into this novel. And then we learned that your father was a land developer mm-hmm. and your great-grandfather was the 14th governor of North Dakota, which is <laughs> kind of cool, I got to say. I know, that's yeah. kind of a small, <laughs> one of those little family family things. <laughs> I would think that there's a North Dakota novel coming out someday. But spoiler alert, I want to be very careful. Um, Land development and politics do play in the novel. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't quite even know where to begin with all this. Let's talk about the land development. Did your father help you with some of the plot twists? You don't have to, I don't want to tell the story, but did he help with the plot twists? He did not, no. In fact, my dad... um, my dad passed away in 2009 um, from an illness. So he's, uh, he did not live to see my first draft finished. He was my first and earliest reader. He was also an avid reader. He went to law school, ended up doing business instead, doing real estate. But um, he loved to read. And his favorite books were the Ian Fleming, James Bonds, oh, yeah. and the yeah. you know Scott Rose and John Grisham's and um, all of those types of stories. So um he read my first 100 pages or so. And he said to me, finish your book. Even though he knew at the time I had, my daughter was a toddler. I had a law practice. I was trying to start my own law practice, all these other things going on. But he could, he could see, I think, from reading the early draft, that first 100 pages and seeing my excitement about it. And I had sort of told him where the story was going, that that was what I really wanted to do. That's and really so, lovely. But then and you so must have learned a lot from your daddy because um, I did. there was, it surprised me. I loved that twist and that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> Regarding North Dakota, when did you move here? Was that your home originally? Because you I mentioned know. Charlotte. That was North Dakota is where my dad was born. So it was his grandfather ah. who was the governor. Um, he was born okay. there, but then moved around. His dad was in the Navy and then an engineer. So they lived in upstate New York and then outside D.C. So he mostly grew up in Falls Church, Virginia. And then we, I live, I'm actually the first of my entire family, extended family, ancestors, everyone to be born in South Carolina. 
Awesome. So, you are a Carolina girl. By I was born okay. in Columbia. Oh. Yes. All right. You've earned so your chops. I was, That's all yeah, we need I was, to know. <laughs> I was born in Columbia. My dad was in law school. My mom had, you know, gotten her master's in education and was trying to get a teaching job. And we lived there until I was two. My mom grew up in Cincinnati. We moved there. My, my sister and brother were born. And then we moved back to Columbia because my dad had had enough of the blizzards and the cold weather. And he knew <laughs> he knew in Columbia we would not have any of that. So that's where I mostly Ron, grew up. I Ron mostly grew up in Columbia. Ron's in, in, in Ohio. Yeah, I'm oh, up yes, in Cleveland. Know. I know about the snowstorm. You know all Especially about this that. last year. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Oh, my God. Um, we had some big ones. Well, I, I also want to say that you are a lawyer and immigration law, interestingly enough. Yes. And I think it's also interesting how you played your law knowledge into, like you said, the group, how to describe the, the lawyers and the kind of personalities they have. But before we run out of time, I really want to get into the story a little bit more. I really appreciate your effort to try and get messages um, to the reader through story plot and, and the novel itself about how to be a good beach visitor and anything to learn about sea turtles. I thought I'd read one paragraph that just, I circled it. I thought, good for you. So I'd like to do a small passage on chapter 44 at the very end. The sun sank lower into the afternoon while Brooke walked off the beach and back to the present day. Families trudged from the beach to the road sweaty and sunburned, lugging strollers, buckets, umbrellas, and chairs. She wondered if they spent the day digging giant holes in the sand or building mounds of castles above the tide line, unwittingly creating obstacles for a mama loggerhead on a trek to the nest that night. In a lovely, Love that's it. the difference between fiction and nonfiction. And you did such mm -hmm. a good job. And Thank in nonfiction, you. you say, don't please don't dig deep holes and cover them up and please flatten your, you, you tell people what to do in novels. It's all introspective or through the viewpoint of a character. And that's an example of what you do so well. And I really enjoyed it that Thank um, you. it's hard to do. So I wanted to read that. Thank you, Mary Allison. You know, you do that so well in your novels as well. I really admire it and Thank you. Uh, enjoy your, your book so much. Well, another thing that I thought was so important is about being involved with sea turtles so much, and you personally are and have been a turtle lady for 10 years. Did you deliberately decide that you were going to try to educate in this or just use it as a backdrop? That was deliberate. I absolutely wanted to use the novel and fiction and murder mystery um, as a vehicle for teaching people about sea turtles, conservation, also getting people thinking about the conflicts between or possibly even the way that environmentalism and capitalism interplay, you know, developments versus the environment. I feel like at loggerheads, my title very much uh, came from this idea that environment and development don't necessarily have to always be at odds or at loggerheads, that sometimes they, they can work together. You can have sustainable development or mm. people can be a little bit of both. They can, you know, maybe be uh, developers or be uh, on a track to make a lot of money and have resources that they can then use to make donations to the environment or to improve the environment or to create technologies and innovate in ways that might help the environment. So sort of an underlying theme was definitely yeah. part of that. And I was using the sea turtle as a vehicle through my book for that. And I love that because it is, it is the, um, as more people move to the coastline, it is always a struggle. 
and and it will continue to be a struggle until the hurricanes come. <laughs> in which yeah. case, we have a different <laughs> struggle to write Another, about. I have to ask you, um, this is fun for the readers, to, to listeners to hear. What is the funniest story you have about something that happened to you when you were on the turtle team? When I was on the turtle team? Yeah. Well, um, you talk oh, I about think, this lady's on the team. What, uh, what's the funniest thing that happened? Oh, the funniest thing that happened? Well, I think just one of the funny things that I learned that I'd not thought about before and I kind of throw it into the book is about the flying turtles. Have the whole idea of a flying <laughs> turtle. Okay, so when, when there's a crawlway onto the beach, right? Yeah. Which is sort of how it sparked this idea for the book, right? There's a crawlway onto the beach and then for some reason, part of the track is missing or in the dry well, part only, of the they, sand. You know, that's it's a, North Carolina. No, when the mama turtle crawls on shore oh, and there's a, okay. there's a path for her, right? Yeah. So she crawls on and then for some reason, there's part of it missing and it looks like oh. she flew oh, from one point about. of the crawlway to another because the path has been blown over by <laughs> sand. And I just thought that was such a funny when idea to, to have flying turtles, right? You, that, that was something I thought was very funny that I learned being on the team. The worst, thing, the funniest thing for me, and there's so many, but the funniest was it was actually on a birthday, and I was doing the we we probed the nest with a T-shaped, and you described it in your book, yes. probe, and I I felt ooh I must be on a nest I, the eggs must be there but it's kind of stuck so I pulled it up, and I pulled out of the sand a pair of pink bikini underwear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know that happened. You know that, ha- that happens to that happens to Brooke in my book. You know that happens to Brooke. Well, that was one of those things I didn't know you could pull one. I didn't oh. know you could pull one out of a turtle nest. I don't oh, know yes. what that girl was doing. What was that girl doing? I don't know, but it was everyone. We all just died laughing. That's great. This is a debut novel, and for all the people listening who are hoping to get published. It's, a, it's always a struggle. Even just getting an agent is a struggle. So mm. what was your journey like? Oh, okay. Well, like I said, it took me a while to write it. So once I had finished a full draft, I edited it, edited it a lot, and then made a list of the agents I wanted to query. And one of them that was my dream agent was the agent for Where the Crawdads Sing, Delia Owens. And I found, I found his name in her book in the acknowledgments because I loved her book and it was set on the coast and it had a lot of nature in it and it was a murder mystery. And I thought, mm, this sh- I should just query him. I mean, go big or go home. So I'm just going to send him, I'm going to send him a letter, you know, went on his website, found out how to do the submission. And he was really only one of two agents I queried first, like, because I thought I'm going to try this first. And then if I get no's, then I'll go on to the next level on my list. And um, I just did a cold query, just sent the letter, described what my book was, that I had loved crawdads, thought that this might be something that interested him. And 15 minutes after I sent that letter, I got an, an email back from him that said, you had me at Turtles, please send me your manuscript. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you I had, had no idea. I you totally had me it. at Turtles. Totally and I didn't. I did not know his name is Russell Galen, and I did not yeah, know that guy. he that he had this other love besides you know his love for being a literary agent. He also is a huge proponent of the environment and conservation. He loves to 
uh, be the agent for books about science and nature, and which makes sense now that I yes, know that that he that he had crawdads as his book. But um, but that was I didn't know sending him that letter that the turtles were would be such a big draw. <laughs> so then I worked back and forth with him a little bit on some edits, and he was very helpful about helping me um, flesh out parts of the book and edit it. And um, we did that for a couple of years, and then because it was during COVID. So I, I got that response in 2019 fall, right before COVID in 2020. So we were still oh. working on editing the book when all of that happened. So we didn't start submitting to publishers until probably 2021, maybe summer uh, or spring or summer 2021. And just, he selected some editors he knew and I, um, and we did some some of the traditional big publishers and some of the small publishers and ended up with one that um, is here locally in Charleston called Evening Post Books. They're a small press, and good the editor really who ended up one. yes, editor who ended up buying it, buying my book, um, actually for one summer was a volunteer for a turtle team in Polly's Island. So there's that turtle oh connection God. again, I right? Tell you, so I just feel like the sea turtles really helped me out with the whole <laughs> agent and publisher search. I don't know if I could have done it without well, the sea turtles. You're going to find they'll buy your book too. They, oh, I think I've, people love the sea turtles. But I, love, I, just, I think that's I love a great turtle story. people. <laughs> and honestly, um, it's, it's really important, I think, to encourage novels and people who are writing about um, the environment and how to protect it and how to and you, whether it's a murder mystery or a family saga it's it's I just I encourage authors to um, be aware and share that love because we all need to read it and to respond to it so thank you for yes. writing your book you're welcome and thank you also Mary Alice because you're quite an inspiration for me because you do thank that you. with all of your books and so many different species you've highlighted and taught readers about through your writing and I just I think that's such a testament to what one person can do, that one person can make such a difference by all these readers you've taught and inspired from the, now the middle grade students <laughs> on up to, you know, all of us adults. So. Well, I knew this was going to be a magical conversation. You two are, I'm learning so much and uh, well, it's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Alice. Thank you, Ron. Of course. Well, what are you working on now? Can you tell us anything about what's coming up next? Yes. So my next book, keeping with the same theme of continuing to teach readers about sea creatures and so that I can keep researching them. My next book will also have something involving a, a sea creature. Um, it's going to be the puffer fish this time, which is a little odd, but yeah. my, my next genre is more of a thriller suspense book. Mm -hmm. And my main character is an immigration attorney. So I will be well. using that part of my world and my knowledge to, That's to create this next character in this next book. I'm about a hundred pages in. Don't let it take 10 years. We want it now. No, I no, really no, hope it doesn't. It. No, no. <laughs> I think because I had so much going on in those 10 years from raising kids to starting a business, to moving, to taking care of, you know, my, my dad was sick and there are all so many oh. things happening, but it really just, I think writing became my outlet and was just something I loved to do. And I knew eventually I'd finish the book. I just didn't feel any rush. So this time I really, I have more time. Let me um, share a story with you that kind of puts it into perspective. Um, there's a short little story about how Picasso was having uh, a coffee or glass of wine with another artist. 
And some, he said, can you draw me a, you know, what, what, just draw that over there. And Picasso took the cocktail napkin and took a pencil and, and gave it to him. And he goes, oh, thank you so much, Pablo. This is fabulous. And he goes, and Pablo says, uh, well, that'll be a million dollars. And I said, a million dollars for something? It just took you 20 seconds to draw. And Picasso said, yeah, mm. um, but it took me 20 years to be able to draw that in 20 seconds. So the thing is, as you become a seasoned writer, it doesn't take 10 years to write a novel because you're writing intensely. You're writing, if you're lucky, you don't have another job to have to do. But you draw all that experience. Look at all you've learned. So your debut novel is the biggest, brightest explosion on the horizon. And I congratulate it. Congratulate Thank you. you for Thank it. you so much. I like that story. And I totally agree that nobody really is an overnight success, right? <laughs> it's it's yeah. all uh, Very true. the 10,000 10, hours rule <laughs> and everything that leads up to that being able to to make things happen so quickly and to be sick, what is perceived as successful at what you do takes a lot more time than people see. <laughs> well, the novel is at loggerheads and the author is Kristen Ness and the book is out May 23rd. Third. Yes. Okay. Which is world turtle day. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, I was, well you know, done. it's a, it's a Tuesday, and I thought, you know, book's coming out on a Tuesday, and this is May 23rd. That would be the perfect day. And so the publisher agreed, and we and we did it. So excellent. hopefully uh, everything will – I'm excited to get it out there and see what people think. Yes. Well, we will be pushing that title and that book uh, a lot, Thank and you. we can't wait for people to get their hands on it. Thank you so much. Yes. This has been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. And Mary Alice, it's been so terrific getting the band back together. Thanks <laughs> for taking the time to come back. Oh, and, you know, I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do it. I enjoyed it. Definitely. Thank you also to our listeners. We're grateful for your support. Don't forget that At Loggerheads will be available on our Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page. Tune in again next week, and please tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends in Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.